Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Candice Deville, I am so thrilled to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for having a chat with me today. I'm very excited to be talking with you, Jill. <laughs> All right. Well, let's assume people don't know about you, which I find really hard to believe, but let's just assume that and start it off with telling everybody what it is that you do now mm-hmm. and why you're doing it. Okay. Um, well. <laughs> nice big, broad question. I know, right? Off. I know. Um, well, what I'm doing now is um, I run a marketing, digital marketing and communications agency um, with my co-founder, Hunter. And yes. uh, we work with all manner of businesses, not in any particular vertical, but essentially we try and work with them to get them to go beyond business as usual and start achieving nice. the kind of results um, both financially and in terms of you know, the personal rewards in their business uh, that come mm-hmm. with really hitting some of the, the stretch goals that they have always wanted to achieve. Great. So now, firstly, let's just tell everyone what it is. It's called Optima- Optimization Co-Pilot. Is that right? Co-Pilot Crew. The co-pilot crew, yes. just in case anyone wants to get hold of you. And I will get you to say something at the end again. Sure. Um, and I'm really interested to know, so Hunter is your partner mm-hmm. in life as well as your partner in business. Indeed. Can you tell me why the two of you set it up? Mm-hmm. Well, it was one of those <laughs> serendipitous moments, actually, because we've both been involved um, in digital marketing and communications for many years each, about 20-odd years. Uh, before we yeah. met and when we did meet you know as you do when you have experience working in the same industry you start talking about all the gripes that you have uh, yep. <laughs> and the things that you've seen that are wrong um, and a big problem that I'd found in working with a lot of clients was that they were really confused by what was going on out there you know they're not marketing experts themselves they're relying on their agencies and service providers to really help guide them Uh, into making good decisions. And unfortunately, we found that uh, because it's such a a relatively new industry um, and so many service providers out there, there was a great variation in um, skills, knowledge, competency, and even just genuine care for um, these people's business in the same way as you would care for your own. Um, and being- <laughs> I just think that is that is just such a let's just stop and take a breather there. Mm. That is so flipping true when yeah. it comes to marketing. Yeah. And so and, and it's and maybe what we can talk about a little bit later is how you can tell whether you've got a, good, a decent marketing mm. company or not. But there are heaps of charlatans out there. I couldn't agree with oh, you more. Oh, 100 percent. It's like the Wild West and it just gets worse and worse with every it's year. Like life coaches. Mm-hmm. That's the other one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> life coaches and business coaches. <laughs> Anyone can put up their shingle. That's right. And <laughs> for someone that, you know, I've been an entrepreneur and, and self-employed for geez, 15 years now. Um, it's yeah. something where you have a very different understanding of what you put on the line as a business owner and how mm. every um, poor decision or uh, actually impacts your life. Um, you know, I know so many small businesses that have taken out loans, had to take out second mortgages, all of these things. And if they make a bad decision or a bad investment, 
that's not something that, you know, shareholders come down on them for. It's the difference between, you know, their kids being able to go to school camp or not. So it's a very, very that's real consequence. Exactly right. Yep. Yep. Actually happened to me with a digital marketer who walked away in the middle of a job mm. and left me with zero money in the bank mm. and um, no product that I could use to actually build up. So, yeah, I've, I've had that one at the, you know, at the person from a personal point of view as well. Yeah. So so you and Hunter decided that you would set up something, treat your clients nicely and actually help them. Mm. Essentially, <laughs> yes. Uh, because we have so much experience in the industry, we found that the thing that was really lacking was most um, companies that were out there were run by and employing people with only a few years' experience. And yeah. while I don't um, fundamentally have a problem with that, everyone has to start somewhere, um, it is very different when you're dealing with mature businesses and they're looking for true guidance and advice that really comes with um, you know, a breadth of experience and the depth of knowledge that you get with working over many, many years and in a lot of different market conditions as well. Yes, exactly. You're, you're quite right because, of course, how, what you need to do now in the COVID times mm. and in recessions is very different to what you do when, when, when everything's sort of going tickety-boo. Yes, that's right. And the <laughs> position that, weapon, that yeah. we find ourselves in is one of a trusted advisor. And so rather than setting out to build a business that was going to become something you know, really large with you know, 100 employees or anything like this, our intention from the very beginning is to remain a boutique level agency where our clients are always dealing directly with the leadership um, so that they're able to tap into our experience and our knowledge Mm -hmm. and we can be those trusted advisors for them treating their business and their investment in the exact same way as we would do for our own. Perfect. Oh, you just sound perfect. And of course, hence the name co-pilot. I get it now. That's exactly why, yes. <laughs> You're sitting in the, in the pilot seat with them. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned earlier about your entrepreneurial career. Mm. Can we go right back to the start of your career and you take sure. us through? Because there'll be a whole lot of women that will be really interested to know. And I'm intrigued, actually, to know a whole lot about your blogging past mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So take me from leaving school to oh, now. Okay. Well, it's a very interesting. <laughs> Interesting ride, Jules. <laughs> oh, good. It nearly always is. And I think I think that's why I like to talk about it because people think you go, I think I'll run a marketing company and you just set it up that way and off you go. But it's never like that. No, no, it isn't. It's, it's a very interesting journey. And initially when I left school, I had this grand plan of becoming an archaeologist um, and being something <laughs> like Indiana Jones meets Wonder Woman. I thought this was a fabulous idea. Um, so I actually went to uni to study archaeology and Russian. Right, as you do. (laughs) Two very, very useful, useful topics to have. (laughs) Absolutely. And I discovered fairly quickly that um, while it was interesting, it certainly wasn't going to be a lucrative career. Uh, But as a kid growing up, I'd had a lot of experience um, working with both my father in his own business because he always ran his own business Mm -hmm. And my grandfather, who was the director of an international aid organization, and even when I was a kid, I would go in and work with them on um, a lot of their marketing things. They would be putting together magazines. So, you know, it would be the old layout where things would be typeset and then put on a light box. And I loved going in and reading the stories about people, what they were doing, seeing how they were putting all this together, and then how they would raise funds for a lot of these different projects. 
So um, not long after I'd been at university, I actually ended up taking a job with that aid organisation as a marketing intern. And that was back in the, I think, 97, something like that, Um, in the days when the internet was sort of starting out. Yes, yes, it was. And tell me, was the international aid organisation based in a particular country? Like, did you do it on the basis that maybe you'd get to travel or it was purely that, you know, the opportunity was there because of your grandfather? It was really because of my grandfather and um, they had operations all over the world. Right, okay. And were you um, interested in marketing before that or did you kind of fall into marketing because you needed a job and your grandfather had offered you one? I think I fell into it really. Um, I hadn't identified that my skill set was a marketing skill set, let's say. Um, Because you don't really, you don't, don't well, certainly back in our day, Mm. you don't know what marketing is. No, no, that's right. And and I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. I just did what I liked. And uh, that was things like, you know, working with photos, telling stories, talking to people, interviewing, all of these sorts of things. And uh, one of the responsibilities that I ended up taking on was uh, looking after fundraising for a child sponsorship program. And after about a year working on that, I realised that it was very difficult to raise funds on something like that without people understanding what the impact of their giving really was. Was making, yeah. yeah. And I took the opportunity to then go and um, travel and work on the ground with the program um, in the orphanage that they were um, supporting in um, rural China back in 99. Wow, how interesting. So and what was that like as a, as a young girl who, from Australia? Fascinating. And I absolutely right. loved it. Um, it was certainly very hard work, but what it brought home to me was the reality of the work that we were doing and the real impact that that was making on people's lives. So connecting the dots in very relatable and visceral way for me So it meant that when I came back to Australia, I understood the power of that experience and tried to find ways to better communicate that. So are you able to maybe just because we've got oodles of time, Mm. give me a a story of someone and the impact it has made? Because it's it's always interesting for those of us that are supporting those kind of charities and sponsoring children Mm. to know what it is on the ground. So tell us a story. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Um, oh, gosh, have I put you on the spot now? <laughs> well, I can tell you that, you know, the, the reality as an Australian girl going to live in those conditions was something that mm. I had never experienced. Um, the first thing that we were actually doing was bringing all the supplies in to create um, new beds for the children because they were literally sleeping on dirt floors at the time. Right. Um, and you don't think about what, problems that might cause other than you know being uncomfortable sleeping on the dirt yeah until you're sleeping on the dirt yourself and you realize that you keep getting woken in the middle of the night by the rats nibbling on your ears oh are you serious (laughs) yeah again not not something i would have thought of that's amazing and getting them up off the floor Mm -hmm. means the rats scurry under the beds so that's when i learned to always take scarves with me when i travel and i would sleep with the rats around my head so the rats couldn't get to my ears in the night (laughs) And no, no scarves around your feet as well. I always worry about no, them. No, no, I also toes. needed them um, to wrap around my face and at the, the, the <laughs> communal the communal toilet that was available was um, just a oh. large trench dug in the ground. And, of course, you couldn't see in the dark. 
and you never wanted to slip inside the trench because you could no. you could drown if you were a child in that trench. So these were some of the yeah. things that we were working on improving the facilities for. Amazing. Mm. Oh, that's that's great, actually. That just I've got this vision of you wrapped from head to toe in scarves. <laughs> Can you imagine? And trying to balance <laughs> on this you know slippery, muddy trench and not fall in. Oh, God, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so from there you, you came back to Australia. Yes, I came back to Australia and um, for a long time found that I couldn't go to a mall or anything like that because the consumerism just seemed far too much. And there was a a great disparity um, in my mind between the way people were living in these situations and the way we had things here. And thinking about life as a marketer, it was all about, you know, what are you selling? What's the next thing? Um, you know, how do you get people to buy this, that and the other? And there was a dissonance there in me trying to figure out, well, how does this actually sit with my own ethics? Um, yeah. And I realised that I was really good at this marketing thing, but it was essentially a, a, a power or a talent that you're given that could be used for good or evil. And I had to make a decision, <laughs> what was I going to do with this? And... When I looked at it, and, and this is all behind why we really started Copilot Crew, is we mm. know that it can be used to be a force for positive change, to help um, support businesses that are really worthy of that, uh, you know, businesses yeah. that are doing amazing things, that are great employers, that are working ethically, all of these sorts of things. And if you're someone that has all of those experiences, I would rather be working for companies that want to leave the world in a place that's better than they found it. Yes, and I and it's funny you should say that because literally about an hour ago I was reading an article on LinkedIn that was talking about millenniums and saying, or millennials and, and how people get it wrong. And one of the things that is so important to them as well, I'm not saying you're a millennial, although you're probably not that far away, <laughs> um, is is that they really need to have some meaning and some purpose mm. in what they're doing. They do want to make change. They don't want to just work for the sake of working, mm. Mm. which, you know, a lot of people do very sadly, really, I would say. Yeah, I think it, so, that particular people, trip um, really changed a lot for me because I realised, you know, luckily early on in my career that there was no point in working just to have another flat screen TV. What's the point in that? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what did you do next? Oh, a whole lot of different things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I bounced around for a while and worked um, in different corporates. Um, I actually went and did a stint working in PR um, and recruitment because it was very similar sort of uh, (laughs) talent set. Uh, but found yeah. that really, you know, marketing was was what I loved. Was pulling you back. Mm, it was really always pulling me back. But uh, when I had my first daughter, uh, that really knocked mm. me out of the workforce in a big way. And I found that, you know, while um, my husband at the time wanted me to sort of just stay home and be a mum, he was really happy with that. I had itchy feet. And I, bet. <laughs> I just, I'm always wanting to do something new. Um, you know, I'm someone who's you know, very driven um, and I love learning new things. So yeah. I decided that I was just going to take what I was passionate about and start writing about it online because at the time there was very little happening in the online space right. in the early 2000s. Um, and so I thought this is a great opportunity to try and 
find people that are like-minded and essentially make some more friends beyond the suburban <laughs> living arrangements that I had and meet some more people that that thought like me. Okay, so I don't know whether the system will show that we had a technical difficulty there, but we definitely did. <laughs> so we'll starting again, but while we were trying to sort it out, I was thinking you mentioned that you had four friends or four people that you met. Were they all women? And were no, you all, and no, were you all styled up as in were you all following vintage or or what was the difference between between okay. you all? Okay. Uh, there were um three other women and one gentleman. Yeah. And and we were all very fashion oriented but completely different styles. Right. Uh, one girl, actually, her style was very much the Japanese kawaii style, which I also completely oh. adored. Is that, um, the, is that the sort of the doll, the, the doll kind of look? Yes, yes, uh, that's um, right. Harajaku, that's right. Har- Har- the, what's the one? Harajuku? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Okay. And um, I came across her simply because I'd been looking um, you know, at different things online, trying to find inspirations from that sort of style as well, which I really loved. So right. we all had various styles. Um, the gentleman also was in PR, ran a PR agency, is very natty dresser and loved shoes. So he wrote about shoes from all over the world. Oh, I love guys so that love fashion. All very different. Yeah. Um, okay, so so all four of you got together. What did you hmm. decide or how did that all pan out from there? Uh, well, to this day, we all stay, still keep in touch um, <laughs> oh, and we great. are all still writing online. So that's amazing. <laughs> it's a it very long amazing. time to be doing it. It is. Gosh, mm-hmm. wow. That's mm-hmm. a fair library. And so, um, look, I'm, I'm angling for, so I'm just going to jump in and say, didn't you, uh, weren't you all called the bloggerati? Wasn't that sort of fun? Ah, okay. So the bloggerati and how that happened was at the time when all of this started, um, as you know, blogging was very new. And of course, bloggers were not making money on the internet at all. Like there was no way to do that. And so individually we'd realised that we were all starting to spend a lot more of our lives writing and and producing for this audience that we had Mm -hmm. and it was taking up more and more resources. So we needed to find a way to support this sort of hobby. Um, And so individually we started putting together media kits and having the background in marketing and PR really, really helped. Yeah. So I was able to start looking at a lot of the numbers that mattered and I started looking at things like, well, what was Vogue putting out there? You know, what was their readership like? Um, and realised very quickly when we could see our statistics of what our readership numbers were that they were outstripping um, publications like Vogue or Clio. Wow, and it seemed that's amazing. amazing to us yeah. that we had this readership and also with readers that we could talk to and have conversations with, but we had absolutely no way to support ourselves financially doing it. And so individually, we started putting together these media kits and finding different brands that we would approach and say, listen, I really like your product or I've been working with this and I know that our audience is really interested in it. Would you be interested in, say, sponsoring a blog post or putting an ad out there? And so we were literally (laughs) knocking on doors, um, actually taking meetings and going around and asking these sorts of things. But it wasn't met with a very warm reception at the time. No one understood how they could do this. How can you advertise um, a blog online if it wasn't a google ad then what was it uh, so it was oh, really, the irony. really hard work <laughs> yeah very hard work um, right you know trying to get 
a, you know, a sponsorship for something in the order of $300 when you could deliver 200,000 engaged readers to that post was near impossible. Amazing. It was, it's quite amazing. And so we thought there's got to be a better way to do this. And once again, we turned to the internet and do our research and found a company that had started up in uh, Malaysia and Singapore called Nufnang. Mm-hmm. And they were representing bloggers in Asia to do this. And we thought this is fantastic. Um, and then discovered that they were starting up in Australia. So we contacted them and very quickly got ourselves represented and yeah. started speaking with them about developing something that represented uh, bloggers that not only had a really high readership, but uh, of authors that brought a lot to the table in terms of uh, professional skills and content creation, people that were, as we were, professional writers and marketers and all of these things so that we could actually deliver the kinds of things that these companies had come to expect from their advertising agencies, that yeah, right. production. Mm-hmm. And that was where Bloggerati started. Right. Oh, that's really fascinating because in some ways now that I've got the She's the Boss show on ticker and I'm looking for a sponsor, it's almost the same thing because people Mm -hmm. are going, well, what are your numbers and what is it? And it's like, well, we actually don't have specific numbers. We just know Mm -hmm. that 5 million people a month are looking at it. But, you know, they don't have that and they kind of uh, can't get their head around it. But we want to advertise. Well, we don't want advertising. You know, we want Mm -hmm. you to sponsor and we want you to sponsor in a way that's really authentic. So Mm. Very, very interesting. And so you called yourself the Bloggerati, is that sort of how That's habit? right. And um, I mean, at that time, <laughs> there was still not the um, the dreaded word influencer being thrown around. Right. <laughs> so we, we, I think um, it's something that we've kind of come to, to loathe in a way. It's been very much a double-edged sword mm. um, because, as, as I said, at the time there were so few people in that space, we were able to deliver really, really high-quality work. Um, you know, we'd often go out and we'd shoot products or do live events. Um, you know, sometimes oh, right. I'd do three or four days of uh, traveling and, you know, being on a plane at 5 a.m. to get up and present something in Brisbane and then still be home to cook dinner for, for my kids um, that night. You know, so you'd be working you know, crazy That's hours. Cra- that is crazy. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. But very mm-hmm. exciting and really at the <laughs> forefront. I mean, wow, that that is uh, seriously at the forefront. So, now, because this show is all about she bosses and women in mm-hmm. business, um, I do have a question that I ask everyone. And if there isn't anyone appropriate, don't feel any pressure. But mm. because I feel that there's a lot of women who are unsung heroes out there, it's always worth asking the question whether there have been any women who've influenced or helped you along the way and how they helped you. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone you can think of? Yes. Um, there is someone that I actually met through my blog, Um, a photographer called Helen McLean. Yeah. And uh, Helen reached out to me um, as someone who would like to have her work featured on the blog and got in touch and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Let's do some kind of collaboration. I thought, fantastic. I love what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, She was doing uh, retro-style pin-up photography. Oh, gorgeous. we met and um, long story short, Helen ended up becoming my best friend and confidant, but also my greatest supporter in that she oh, was someone beautiful. who really understood um, the drive that I had to not only uh, make that website work, but to turn that into other business avenues that could continue to uh, be built upon and do things that were 
beyond just sort of the uh, self-indulgent nature of, of blogging to become something else. And she would always be a fantastic sounding board for a lot of those ideas um, and a really great encouragement when people around you might think that, you know, what you're doing is, is either an impossible task or not worthwhile. Yes, because I do. Th- well, I think that, you know, when you're trying to do something that's unknown, firstly, being so cutting edge brings with it a whole lot of disadvantages because people don't believe you. And if you can mm. find somebody, and I also feel like it's a bit of a female thing that it's nice for us to have somebody on the journey with us in one way or another, whether it's someone that you partner with, whether it is your business partner or, or personal partner or whatever, you just want someone to share it with because otherwise who do you high five when you have some big win? Exactly. Or Everyone needs shall- a cheerleader. That's right. That's right. So, and you actually mentioned that you're still writing. So have you still got a blog that's been going for 15 years or whatever it is now? <laughs> uh, well, I stopped writing that blog in 2016. Um, I do still write now. I write a lot more for myself and more in the marketing vein. Um, okay. And I still do you know, guest pieces and, and things like that. But I found that, um, oh, geez, I started this blog in 2007 and um, essentially just maintain it now, finished up in 2016. Um, Amazing. Because my life changed so much as well with my children getting older. Yeah. And it allowed me to really expand what I wanted to do with my work and get back into the marketing that I loved so much. Yeah, great. Okay, so along the way, every entrepreneur has all sorts of challenges as well as successes. Mm. And I used to say to people, so have you got any successes or failures that you can talk to us about that you've learned from? So firstly, I'm not saying failures because there's no such thing really. It is a learning process. But secondly, I realize that's such a facetious question because nobody really learns very much from successes other than, whoa, I really enjoyed this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So have you had any particular (laughs) challenges that have ended up being quite pivotal moments for you? Uh, where the, where absolutely. Where you've learned something that's really what brought me to where I am now. Oh, Um, great. Go on. I think the biggest pivotal moment for me was letting go of that blog and not trying to do everything right? because I'd been running the blog and I'd been known for that for a very long time. But in the background, we're still doing a lot of uh, marketing consulting and marketing work and, and wasn't known for that at all. Right. But that's where I'd started to see that you know, there was a real need for the space that I was working in. And of course, um, everything that I'd learned, not only from the marketing side, but also from the other side of you know, working in the advertising and, and essentially being the talent, uh, inverted commas, uh, and seeing the needs that were there. And I reached a point uh, in mid-2016 where I was trying to keep all the plates spinning. I had uh, the blog going. That was one business. I had another business that was a a spin-off from that, which was a styling company, um, and we employed five people um, across Victoria who were doing vintage-style hair and makeup for weddings. So that was another uh, business I had going and then trying to do the marketing on the side. Yeah, right. So it was all... A lot. And uh, there came a particular time where I was running an event and you take on as much as you can onto your own shoulders. And I'll admit, I can be a little bit of a control freak. I like things done a certain way (laughs) and to a level of quality. Yeah. But you keep telling yourself, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it under control. You won't relinquish control to other people or get help when you need it. 
and then you hit a wall and realize I've really reached my capacity here. Mm-hmm. And when you start getting to the point that um, you're making yourself ill, um, I'd got terrible pneumonia, um, I had an awful fever, and I was still trying to work through this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was my too much. goodness, Candace! yes. It was I'm, too I, much. I, um, yes. I was going through a lot of uh, personal trauma at the time. Mm-hmm. going through a, a divorce and all sorts of things. And yeah. I just about had the entire world on my shoulders or so it felt and still trying to push through. And I was very, very hard on myself. Um, and I just collapsed completely um, and really sat down and thought, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I pushing myself so hard? Yeah. And I had to sit back and think about all of the things that I told myself about why I'd made decisions and was I really living up to that or was I just trying to prove something to other people? Oh, you are so good to have actually had that kind of moment of introspection and and, mm-hmm. and think about things on a bigger level because, I, I mean, you know, we um, I think I've mentioned that I do these lunches on Fridays. There were, two weeks ago there were five women in a row on my Zoom screen mm-hmm. telling me stories of PTSD and burnout and collapsing and whatever because they had all pushed through too hard and it has completely changed their lives like they mm. have, will never recover properly so you're mm. very lucky that you you stopped basically yeah yeah that's right and you know that we talk about self-care and all these sorts of things and I thought to myself you know I'd recently made big decisions in my life you know um, ending a long-term marriage and these sorts of things and a big part of what I always tried to keep in mind was my daughters and what's the example that I'm setting for them. Mm, and yes. I really, ever since they were born, wanted them to understand that they have the ability to be anything that they want to be, that they can learn, that they can expand, um, expand their horizons on all of these things. But you can't be everything at the one time. Very good advice. So it's important to me that I don't just espouse that, that I live it. And I realized that I had stopped living it. I was trying to be everything to everyone. And it meant that I was not doing a great job um, in all of those things. And it was time to take a step back and really evaluate where I could be excellent Mm -hmm. and what I could let go to allow that room for excellence and still have time to remain sane and be the best that I could be for my daughters and allow them to see that as an example rather than me just trying to tell them this is how to live your life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I just think that you're you're very special in that you did that, you acknowledged that to yourself. And also you're right, as a role model to your children, it's great to say, you know, you can work at anything, but if you work until you make yourself sick, you're not going to be a great example because mm. then they're going to go, oh, I don't want to work. That's right. <laughs> Possibly or whatever. So... Ah, yeah, interesting. It's interesting that those moments come along. And and I bet now when you look back, you go, best thing I ever ever did. Do you? 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. It was a very, very tough decision. And um, the funny thing is, is when I, you know, stopped blogging and doing all this, I actually sold my vintage clothing collection. And (gasps) it was a collection that I had developed over 30 years. And when I sold this, I started having people asking me things like, are you okay? You know, are you really (laughs) ill? Um, uh, You know, have you been diagnosed with something terrible? Because they had um, associated so strongly what they'd seen on that side of the work that I did with who I am as a person that 
to them that seemed like the end of everything. And I realized also that that was a defining moment that I needed to really expand um, what I was sharing with the world in terms of you know, what I know and uh, what I work at rather than just the trappings of one particular hobby that had come to define me. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Wow, you are just an absolute treasure trove of advice, really, and tips and things. <laughs> so, which which brings me perfectly to my next question, which I swear I had written down before we got to this point, but it's absolutely perfect now. So, how do you juggle? Because, I, well, let me go back. Most entrepreneurs, I think, are, because work is such a passion and mm-hmm. because we love what we do, it's very hard to define where work starts and home, home mm. you know, mm. how to define those two and give them their own space. Yeah. Uh, so, And a lot of people don't. I'm asking this of all the women that I'm interviewing and a lot of people it's seamless, you know, when I feel like it, I work and, uh, you know, there's no de- definition around it. But how do you work? Mm -hmm. No, I have really clear lines and I've found that that's helped me a lot over the years, um, both when I was blogging and now. Um, There's two things in particular. There's the the physical actions that you take and then there's the mental side. Mentally, I'm I'm always working because I love what I do. I'm always coming up with ideas and jotting things down and, you know, having ideas in the shower. That's just the entrepreneur life. Yeah. But how do you stop that bleeding over into everything else mm-hmm. and maintain being present for the people that you care about rather than being mentally absent? That's right. And build up those memories and other things outside of work that are always Absolutely. so important as well. It all starts with knowing why you do what you do. What is it that you're actually trying to achieve? And like I said before, none of us need two or three flat screen TVs. So I don't Uh, work thinking, I just have to have this um, infinite amount of money to do something. I Mm -hmm. work um, so that I'm creating something that is bigger than me Mm -hmm. and I'm always learning. The day I stop learning is the day I stop working. Nice. I like to create physical space as well. So um, even, you know, on those years when I've had to work from the dining room table, for example, Mm -hmm. I'll always clear it off. So I have the things that delineate it as my work area, you know, my laptop, my notepad, and um, my little lucky kitty that comes and sits next to the the laptop. (laughs) And then when it's time to log off, that's it. It goes away, it goes in the cupboard, and then I set the table nicely for dinner. So it becomes a family zone again. rather than leaving things on the end of the table and letting it sort of bleed over. Yes, that's a hard lesson I've had to teach myself, actually. Mm -hmm. And so so what sort of hours are you working? What is clock off time? Even are you doing nine to five as much as you can? Um, I tend to work Mondays to Fridays, but I like to keep Monday morning sacred in as much as I don't really log on or start working till 10. Right. Um, because Monday mornings is hard for everyone and it's a good mm-hmm. time to really get your brain into gear as to this is what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and then on Fridays, I find I like to finish at about three to give myself some more time in the afternoon, particularly when the kids are home from school, um, to lead into the weekend and set the tone for that as well. Lovely. Oh, great. Mm. And then presumably, and you're not working on weekends? No. No, I don't okay. anymore. I used to work no, seven sure days a week. I used to work, what... gosh, 80, 90 hours a week. Right. Um, now I would say I probably work about between 35 and 40, um, but I make 
a real effort to put a mental break when I finish work as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I use different devices to do different things because I find if I'm on my laptop, I will check work emails. So I'll go and pick up the old iPad and sit on Pinterest instead of doing it on my desktop. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's really good advice for people because, yeah, I associate my laptop almost exclusively with work. Mm-hmm. I don't watch movies or anything on it and my iPad becomes, for me, it's it's my Netflix yeah. kind of uh, entertainment thing that's and right. my phone, and well, and my phone for social. Yeah, it just exactly. feels different. Yes, good mm. advice. So I think I've just done it inadvertently without realising. Okay, now I've only got a couple more questions for you. Mm. One is... Um, you know, again, not obligatory, but see what you think. Is there one quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you would like to share with us? Yes. Ooh. I um, I study Mandarin Chinese. And oh, my goodness. That is my passion. So it's one of the things that I actually do every single day and when I want to get away from work and clock off. I spend probably an hour uh, to two hours every day uh, working on my Chinese proficiency. Wow. And have you been like, so did this come up from your chi- your youth when you went over to China? Is that where the interest sparked yeah. from? Yeah, that's And have you right. been learning just, ever since then? I love then? the culture um, and really wanted to understand better a lot of the you know, music and art and all of these things. And um, I think it also... It's part of the the drive that I have, um, you know, going back to archaeology or marketing. It's uncovering something hidden and yeah. that's what I find um, in, in Amazing. I've just studied a lot of languages. But, um, oh, have you? So what languages can you speak? That would be your quirky fact. <laughs> uh, well, none of them fluently anymore. But, um, <laughs> uh, I've studied German, French, Latin, Russian, uh, Japanese and now Chinese. Oh, wow. Well, you're going to have to do a big world trip and go and practice it at some stage. How, long have, been, how long have you been learning Chinese for? Uh, I've just picked it up again about uh, nine months ago, uh, but I first started 16 years ago. Wow. You're amazing because I have to say languages are not a friend with me and I've lived in Germany for five years as a child, lived mm-hmm. in Cyprus, you know, come from Ireland, all sorts of learned French to year 11. I don't think I've learned any any language at all except when I've just been forced to. So I'm always very impressed with people that, that um, go and do that kind of thing on the side. All right, now just last two questions are super yeah. light and silly. The first one, and, and nothing really to do, well, kind of to do with business. So the first one is outside of banking, what are the two most useful apps or what are your two favourite apps on your phone for business? Ah. And the next one's going to be for fun. Okay, gee. <laughs> for business would be um, Rev. I oh, use yeah. Rev quite a lot. Um, it what does really it do? Helps. It, it's a voice recording app where I can send what I've recorded straight through to um, the typesetting, so someone to actually write what I've said. Ah. Um, and it's a really great way that if I'm having thoughts about something or I want to write a piece or, you know, chapter for my book or something like that, I could mm. be driving or I could be sitting at my desk and I don't have to type it out. I can just simply talk it into my phone and someone will actually transcribe that for me. So, um, so far I, I've only used it in English, but I plan to actually use it in other languages as well. Yeah, of course. So is that because you don't like the other transcription apps out there and you prefer to have a human do it? Or is it, do you know about Otter? 
So yeah, I'll- I've I've used a few other automatic ones, um, and I find that sometimes they don't quite get the nuance. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I find that the human element is really helpful because they're also able to cut out. Uh, superfluous words or pauses, those sorts of things that aren't really useful. Oh, that's really interesting. Rev, I'm going to have a look at it. And have you got another one? Uh, the other one that I actually use for business uh, would be Instagram. I use it to research yeah. a lot of things. Okay. Yes, very good. Okay. And then last but not least, are you also addicted to any games? Have you got any fun apps that you use for your personal time? Um, I am not a gamer, but I have a lot of apps that are gamified that I use. And my favorite would be an app called Memrise, which is a spaced repetition learning um, application specifically for languages. So it's kind of like flashcards essentially. And it's all gamified. You can get different levels and win prizes and, and whatnot. So I often sit on that and practice my Chinese or French or something. Oh, you are. Honestly, you should have been. Well, you head girl at your school because you sound like you should have been. <laughs> <laughs> Even your fun app maker, to be honest. <laughs> Even your fun app is, is really, you know, intellectually stimulating and, and, you know, any teacher would be pleased for a child to do it. So well done. Well, yes, look, I wasn't Candace. quite that focused at school, I'm afraid. <laughs> Funny how things change as we get older. So thank you so much. This has just been a brilliant chat. I have really, really enjoyed it. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, yes, through our website, which is copilotcrew.com.au. Fantastic. Well, look, you're an absolute gem for doing this. Thank you very, very much. And um, I'm sure all the people listening are going to find it really interesting. Assuming that they can, assuming assuming they can hear all of it on the basis that we have our technology (laughs) issues, but I'm sure that someone will be able to stitch it together. I'm sure. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 